Thanks for joining us today with another podcast from New Hope Church. We hope that you enjoy what we have for you today and find it encouraging and uplifting. If you ever want to learn more information about New Hope Church, please visit us online at myhope.life. We'd love to get to know you. Have a wonderful day and God bless. are so like gracious and forgiving <laughs> my scatterbrain okay so um i am not going to be able to do zach's recap but before we get into anything let's go ahead and pray lord i thank you for bringing us all together today god i pray that you would move in this service that you would use my lips of clay god to bring your word that you would use me as a vessel to speak for you lord speak through me And I pray that everyone would receive something from this message, that we would all leave edified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, let me get my timer going, because if I don't, I just will not know what time it is, and I'll just talk for an hour and a half. I don't want to do that to you guys. (laughs) Okay, so um, we are going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. And if you listen to the first first service. Um, This might be a little bit different because I've been thinking about it this afternoon and I preached and talked to Zach and might change some things up a little bit. Um, So we'll just see as the Lord leads. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 and we're going to start in verse 1. I love the King James Version and my Bible's in this translation, so that's what I've got. So I'm so sorry. I'll explain it, though, if you don't understand. Okay, so verse uh, verse 1, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, I don't know if I pronounced those right, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scripture, opening and alleging that Christ must need have suffered, and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed, and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and a chief, and of the chief women, not a few. All right, so Paul and Silas, after, you know, chapter 16, after everything ensues, they are, they continue their journeys, and they're in Thessalonica, and they're there for about three weeks preaching. Um, you figure that out from like three Sabbaths. You only get one Sabbath a week. So they're there for about three weeks preaching and teaching. And Paul is preaching the same thing the whole time. Paul has one sermon. If you look at his teachings, you know, we recognize Paul as like the greatest missionary to ever live. You know, gave his whole life and traveled across um, the, country, the world to teach. But he only taught one thing. There was only one sermon that he was preaching and that it was like, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He needed to come to the earth, die so that we could be forgiven of our sins so that we can be in relationship with him. And so he just preached the same thing everywhere he went. It was just like one solid sermon, which I think that there's a lot to be learned from that. This is all we really need to preach, right? So you do not need to be a Bible scholar or preach the most elaborate message to be a great minister of God. Preach Christ and him crucified. Educate, many will convert and be saved. That's the whole formula. We are to preach Christ and him crucified. Salvation is for everyone, Jews, Greeks, men, and women. So in that last verse, we see um, where many, I was going to, okay, so I was going to type these verses into my notes, and I didn't, and I wish I had. So if you guys notice me, like, flipping around, that's my fault. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so. It says that many believed, um, consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and chief women. So we notice here that the Greeks at the time, you know, there was a differentiation. I almost said that right. Anyway, there's a differentiation between Jews and Greeks. Jews were believed to be God's chosen people, but when the veil was torn, Jesus died for our sins, everyone was able to go in and to be in the presence of the Most High and to be saved. 
And there's also, we see, the chief women. There were lots of powerful women who also were saved that day. So it's very interesting to note that when writing this text, they noted that it was not just Jews, but also Greeks, and not just men, but also women. So very interesting to point out. Uh, okay, so the next we're going to look at verse 5. I'm sorry if this comes off a little bit more teachy. I think that I'm more of like a teacher than a preacher, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so verse 5, it says, But the Jews which believed not, right? So there's a distinction. There were those who believed and those who did not. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. So these people who didn't like what Paul and Silas were teaching weren't just mad, but they set the entire city, like, on fire. They were mad, mad, and they went out. People who didn't even care. They were, you know, creating this mob mentality. We need to get them out of our town. They're causing problems. They're stirring things up. So they go to where they know Paul and Silas are staying, the house of Jason, and they don't find them there. But who they do find is Jason. Poor Jason. He was just housing them, right? <laughs> he was just trying to be a good servant, you know, make people comfortable. And they drag Jason out. And they're like, they throw him at the council, and they're like, this guy is housing criminals, and we are upset. Then they say, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the world upside down are coming thither also. These that have turned the world upside down. How in the world do you turn the world upside down? I hope, I hope that people say that about me. Because I don't want sin to be comfortable around me. I don't want sin to feel like it's okay around me. I want the presence of God to make sin uncomfortable when I come in. We are called to be different. We are called to be set apart. We are a peculiar people, right? Christians cannot be people pleasers. And Paul is the most perfect example of this. And you guys will see later, we're gonna get into it. Paul did not mince, for, mince words. He didn't coddle people in their sin. He said, listen, you have two options, heaven and hell, and what you do will determine your outcome. So we are not, we cannot be people pleasers. People will either love you or hate you, but you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to worry how people feel about you. And I know that is easier said than done <laughs> because I am a people pleaser. I want everyone to like me. And it is so hard to say, I can't care what people think, I have to care what God thinks above all, right? So when they said, these that have turned the world upside down, they were really saying, these Christians came to town and nothing is the same. Nothing has been the same since these people walked into town. Now what they really were saying, they didn't realize it yet, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he came to set the world right side up, right? The world had originally been right side up, but when sin entered the world, it was flipped upside down. People had lived in their sin for so long. I appreciate it, Betty. I need you to preach with me, okay? <laughs> People had lived in their sin so long that they had become disillusioned to the fact that they were living upside down. So when Paul and Silas were walking into town, they weren't actually turning the world upside down, but it sure felt like it to everyone who was living upside down. So there are these, there was this study done and people were given these glasses that flipped their vision. I am not a scientist. I don't know how an eyeball works, but I guess your, like your retina or something flips your image and then your brain process it, processes it and flips it right back. So when they were studying this, they gave them vision flipping glasses and it took about three days for their vision to adjust. So they were walking around upside down for a few days, and then their brain was able to flip it so they could see through these glasses straight up and down. Well, then when they would take the glasses off, their vision would be upside down for a couple days until everything could go right back to being right side up. 
Our brains are absolutely amazing things. It is so cool how God designed us. But there are so many people who are living in this world that are living upside down thinking that they are right side up. And when you walk in, it can feel like chaos. Do not take it personal when people don't like you. Okay? A lot of people just don't like their upside down being flipped right back side up. But it's not you. Okay? It is who is in you that is being represented outward. Okay? So you are to be a vessel for the presence of God. And when you come in, things start turning right back side up. And I know, like, you can see that kind of in your personal life. You know, you can feel like, oh, my goodness, everything is upside down. And everything feels like chaos. Does God hate me? Everything's spinning around. Take heart. Because everything is not chaos. God is flipping you right back side up so that you can be ready to charge out into the world and you can set other people free who have been bound by this upside down. This is so much better than the first service. I'm so sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you are called to be God's chosen people. You are called to go into the world and set things right back side up. You have been chosen. God is calling you to come out from among them and be separate. He wants us to be different because if we are just like everybody else, how can we make any change? If people don't see Christ in you, what good are you doing? We have to be separate. We have to come out from the world, have our vision changed so that we can go back in and pull other people out. It is not and has never been good enough for us to just claim to be Christians. There has to be proof. It is not a label we wear. It is not a title that we proclaim, but it is a lifestyle. It is everything that we are. We have to be Christians through and through. My mom used to tell me when I was little, she still tells me this, but she told me one day they're going to come for Christians. And when they do, there better be enough evidence behind your words to say that you are actually a Christian. Your lifestyle better say it before your words do. There better be enough evidence to convict you. That's who we are called to be as Christians, proudly proclaiming the name of Jesus because he proudly proclaimed us when he died on the cross. This is everything that we are. Everything that we could hope to be is in Christ. So, there, Matthew chapter 22, verse 14, it says, many are called, but few are chosen, right? So the voice of God is calling out. He's called, whether you believe it or not, God has a specific call for each of you. It is a very detailed call that has been chosen for your life. The Bible says many are called, few are chosen. Well, how do I get chosen? You know, I'm called, but I want to be chosen. I want to be brought into the fold. You can be chosen once you say yes. First Peter chapter two. Let me pull it up real quick. Sorry, guys. This is what I was talking about. <laughs> All right. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. And it says, get there in a second. but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are called to be in the chosen generation. There is something specific and there is a specific people group that you have been called to be set aside. So how do we go from being called to being chosen? It is in the power of your tongue. When you respond and you say, God, yes, yes to whatever it is. I don't know what my future holds. I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what your will is. When you say yes to the call of God, it can feel like he's dragging you all over the place. You don't know what's going on. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to anything that's happening, but that is the cost of being chosen. You get to be a peculiar people, a holy nation that you will show forth the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into light. You get to be the light in a dark upside down world. You get to be a part of pulling people out of darkness and showing them the light. Verse eight of Acts chapter 17, it says, and they, And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason 
and of the others, they let them go. Evil is not just coming after the preacher, not just coming after the Bible study teacher. It's not just coming after the Sunday school teacher. It's coming after the toilet scrubbers. It's coming after the coffee makers. It's coming after the pamphlet folders. Between being called and chosen is a gray area. Coming into church and sitting on a pew is a gray area. And the gray area is unstable ground. It is unsure. You don't know what your solid ground is. Don't stay in the gray area. The gray area is not safe. When you get into, you need, the Bible talks about, um, God said, be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, he's gonna spew you out of his mouth. Get out of the gray area and get into the light because in the light is safety, in the light is peace. And that is the purpose of the church, right? We are supposed to live in the light and be the light. There is, I should have looked it up between services and I didn't, but there was an army. It was either the Romans or the Greeks, but they developed a new battle plan. The reason they were able to take over so many territories was because when they would go into battle, they would, the front line would lock together, their shields locked together so nothing could get through. And the team right behind them would come in with their swords and be like plowing into people. And when the front line got tired from pushing up against the army, they would fall back and the next line would step in with their shields. And those shields locked in place so that nothing could come, come through. When you're living in the gray, you're living on the outside of the shield. Get behind the shield and get in the light because in there is safety in this team. We have to be locked together because evil doesn't care. Evil doesn't care if you're living in the light, if, they're, if you're living in the gray. If you're living in the gray, you're an easy target. So... Get in the light, <laughs> get in the team. Verse 10 through 15 talks about how Paul and Silas, they escaped by night and they went to Berea. And in Berea, they met an interesting group of people that were nothing, nothing like the Thessalonians. These people were eager. And the Bible, uh, the verse says, in verse 11, it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So when Paul and Silas came in preaching and teaching about Jesus being the Messiah, the reason he had to die on the cross to redeem, of, redeem us of sins, these people are already ready. They were searching the scriptures daily. They were ready. So when Paul came in preaching scripture, it was easy for them to check it. We as Christians have got to check it. In the first service, Noah was here and he checked Zach in like a hockey kind of way. He's not here, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> but the thing is, we have to, uh, for the sake of our own souls, right? It is our responsibility to fact check the words that we're receiving. We cannot just take any man's word for it. Because ultimately, men will let us down. Humans will let us down. People make mistakes. The only one who is perfect is God. And so if we just accept everything without searching the scriptures daily, without readiness of mind, if we just accept that, there is a chance that you could be accepting a lie that could lead you into trouble. So check the word. It is important that we have our own studies and our own relationship with God outside of church. We can't be dependent on the church for everything. We come to church to unify and to build one, one another up, but outside of church, we also have to be Christians. We have to live the Christ-like life daily. So they checked him, they found it was true, and many were converted. Lies don't get people into heaven. Good vibes don't get people into heaven. Inspirational quotes don't get people into heaven. The only thing that will save souls is the redeeming blood of Jesus. Right? So if we're preaching, oh, it's okay. Like, you just have to rest in the grace and peace of God. Oh, God loves everybody. He accepts everybody. Yes, those things are all true. But there's a lot more to it. <laughs> like, yes, he loves you. But there's things he's going to start cutting out of your life. Right? So this is where it gets interesting. So Paul and Silas are in Berea. And they're preaching to the Jews there. They're preaching to the Greeks there. Um, and the... Jews from Thessalonica find out that Paul's in Berea. Okay, so they're mad. Like, they're heated. They come to Berea, 
and chase him out. Like, they couldn't just like let it go, like sleep on it a couple days. Okay, <laughs> don't feel bad when people see you as a target, okay? Know that it's not you, it's Christ in you. They hated him first and that's why they're gonna hate us, right? So when you start turning people's worlds upside down, don't be surprised when it keeps them mad, you know? Like they don't like chaos. People like to be comfortable, right? People like to be comfortable. They like to come into church every day and sit in the same seat and do the same worship moves and leave exactly the same way because that's comfortable, right? We get comfortable in who we are and what we're doing in our relationship with God and we get stagnant. And when God starts flipping worlds upside down, it's like, no, I was so comfortable. Like, trust me, it's so much better once you're out of your comfort zone where God wants you. So Paul is able to escape once again from Berea and he is taken to Athens. But this time he leaves Silas and Timotheus behind in Berea. They're going to come later, meet up with him. Well, he gets to Athens and he's waiting for uh, Silas and Timotheus. And he sees, he sees the evil and the idolatry that is taking place in Athens. And verse 19, it says, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Sin should not be comfortable around you. We shouldn't be comfortable with it and it shouldn't be comfortable with us. The spirit of God should stir in us when we see things that are not okay. So immediately Paul takes action and he goes into town. He goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching in the synagogue. And then he goes to the market. He goes where anyone will listen. And he's telling them, you need to turn from your wicked ways. Jesus is the only savior. He died for you and you need to be set free. He goes where anybody will listen. He's not worried about like getting behind a pulpit. Let me tell you why. I said this in the first service and I think it's so true. There are so many churches I believe in America that would not let Paul preach at their church. Paul was harsh. Paul was rough and Paul did not care about feelings, okay? He did not care about cracking a joke. We're gonna get into what he preached in a minute. And I was reading it and I was like, this is really harsh. Which I mean, like, it's what we need, you know? Sometimes we need tough love to be like, you need to stop it, <laughs> right? So Paul did not make jokes. Paul was not funny. Paul did not care what other people thought of him. He preached the word and only the word. So he starts telling anyone that'll listen. And then verse 18, it says, then certain philosophers um, of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, what will this babbler say? Right? So they're like, who is this crazy guy that came to town? You know, what's he talking about? Well, the Athens, the Athenians, they loved doctrines. They loved gods and they had a God for everything. And they loved to cover their bases, right? So they had a God for the sun. They had a God for the moon. They had a God for the snow. They had a God for the rain. They had a God for all these different things. And so when someone comes in and he's like, you need to turn from your idolatry and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. They're like, another God? What's his name? I'll take him, <laughs> right? So they were ready to collect Jesus and put him on their shelf. And Paul was like, absolutely not. Like, uh-uh, right? So... They start, they're listening, they're interested. And then in, let's see, he goes to Mars Hill because he's like, all oh, these people are gonna listen, follow me. So he goes to Mars Hill, which is so funny because Mars Hill is named after a pagan God um, in Athens, one of their many gods, but it's the tallest point in Athens. And he says to them, he starts preaching to them and he's like, you all need to turn from your wicked ways. And in verse, let's see. This is my favorite part. Okay, so verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things, ye are too superstitious. Okay, so he is like, you have too many gods. This is ridiculous. <laughs> He's very blunt, very uh, right up front with them. He's like, this, like this is, I'm embarrassed for you guys. You guys are too superstitious. Got too many things going on. Like, 
a good one too. You're way too religious. Oh, I never thought there was a it's interesting. <laughs> so he said, too superstitious, too religious. And then he said, for I passed by and beheld your devotions. So he's like, I went to go see what you guys were going on about. You know, he checked him out. And I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. And Paul is like, I'm embarrassed for you guys. Like the unknown God, are you kidding me? Like he's, they're literally worshiping someone that they don't know. They don't know what he's done, if he's done anything for them. But they're like, you know what? Just in case, like we don't want to make anyone mad. We don't want to step on any toes. It is the ultimate people pleaser society. They just want everyone to feel safe. They want everyone to feel loved. They want everyone to be comfortable. So someone they don't even know, they're like the unknown God. And Paul is like, the unknown God. Why? Why would you worship anyone you don't know, you know? And at this point, you know, Paul, like, he's in relationship with Jesus Christ. Like, he knows God. He had personal interaction with him when he was blinded, right? It's like, why would you give your life to someone you don't know? Seems like terrible advice, right? So, (laughs) oh, it says, Paul said, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made by hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needs anything, seeing he gives all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounty of their habitation. All right, so he says, Okay, let me tell you about your unknown God. I want to tell you about who God is, since you don't seem to know him, right? They're like, he does not dwell in temples. He does not need your man-made figurines. He does not need your buildings. He does not need these offerings that you're bringing him. He is God Almighty, and he dwells everywhere. He is not bound by things that men can put him in. He is not bound by the situations men can put him in, but he is God, omnipotent and omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times doing all things. He is all powerful. He does not dwell in these buildings that you've set up. He's made one blood, all nations of men, for to dwell on the face of the earth. Now, I know that one hot topic that is currently preached in the church, racism, right? Racism is very prominent in the world today. And so every church feels the need to talk about it right now and address it. Paul was addressing it before it was cool. And if churches were living biblically, they would have addressed it many moons ago. It shouldn't be something that is just now coming up because Paul addressed it thousands of years ago, right? We are all one blood unified. The same issue that happened in the, that is the same issue that we're seeing today is something that is not new to the church. The division of Jews and Greeks, the division of men and women, Paul came in and he said, no, Jesus died for everyone because we're all the same. He said, we're all from one blood. There's no distinction between you. You're all able to enter into the presence of God. We're all made from dirt with the same blood to live on the same planet. Everything we have and everything we do is because God gives us the ability. Life, breath, and every little detail about us is only possible because God is king. Verse 29, it says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And the times of his ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So God says, you need to stop, or Paul says, you need to stop looking at God as if he's this distant, all-powerful deity, because that was not his intention. God wanted relationship with us. He said, yes, God Almighty, but he is not distant. When the veil was torn in the temple, we became of Sorry, the Holy of Holies became available to us so that we could enter into relationship. We could enter into the presence of God and never leave the same. His intention was never for us to go in the same and come out the same and just be who we are living day to day. When you enter into the Holies of Holies, you cannot leave the same because his power is changing. It's transformative. It is everything and all encompassing. 
We are called to be the children of God and stop creating a distinction for people to God. We are called to point people to God and get them to the presence of God. Say, this is how you get to Jesus. This is how you get to God. You have to go this way. We're not to create a barrier between them saying, oh, well, you need to do this and you need to be like this and you need to dress this way and you need to have your clothes firmly pressed. You need to have bells along the bottoms or we're gonna tie a rope to your ankle and pull you out when God strikes you dead, right? Because that's what they did in the Old Testament. If they, weren't, if they didn't look exactly right, God would strike them dead. So when the veil was torn, that was stopped. There is not supposed to be a distinction or a barrier that we set up between God and man because God destroyed that. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> so then he says, your times of ignorance, God winked at. So he's, you know, he, he understands why you were ignorant, but it's time to repent because you're not supposed to be ignorant anymore. Like I've told you what you need to know, now it's time to repent. Like that is like if every message could just follow this outline, you know, he's like, this is sin. Don't do it. Repent and stop. Like <laughs> That is everything that we could possibly need right there in one verse. So it says, um, let's see, verse 32. And when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked and others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. This is fascinating. So some people, these people were serving an unknown God and they had the audacity to mock Jesus rising from the dead. Like the people who are too superstitious, the people who are too religious are, that's what they're going to mock? Like really that you can't wrap your heads around that? You've got 5,000 gods and you can't wrap your head around that? Really? Okay, so some of them are like mocking. They're like, yeah, okay, someone rose from the dead. <laughs> yeah, sure. And then others of them are like, yeah, this is kind of interesting. Like I could listen to him again. He's kind of, you know, kind of crazy, but I could listen to him again. And so Paul, you know what Paul does? Paul leaves. <laughs> the next verse, it says, so Paul departed from among them. He's like, did my job. I'm out of here. And let me tell you what. You can do the same thing. <laughs> After you preach, you don't have to listen to anyone's opinions. As long as you are in the will of God, preaching Christ and him crucified, I'm out of here. I know what I did was what God wanted me to do. So I'm good. So, <laughs> so Paul leaves. And then the next verse, it says, how be it certain men clave unto him and believed among him. And so after he leaves, there are some people that are like, that was interesting. I think he's on to something. And so they chase after Paul and they're like, wait, 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 Paul, right? So don't feel bad if right after you preach or right after you, you, you know, deliver a word from the Lord, whatever manner that may be, do not feel bad if people are like, yeah, okay, it's a crazy person because you don't know the seeds that you're planting. God could be planting something in someone's life right in that moment that you won't see. You may never see, but you might not see till later right? So God could be doing something in someone's life that you may never get to reap the harvest. Someone else may come along and they get to water the seed and they get to see the sprouting, they get to see the fruit and you never get to see it. But you did your part and we are all working as a team. It is not one versus another. It's not me versus Betty. It's not Betty versus Jenny. It's me, Betty and Jenny, right? So <laughs> if we start creating a distinction between us, that is when our shields start to crack. If we, and let me tell you what, if you start making cracks in your shields, causing problems with your brothers and sisters, or you've got strife between each other, the enemy will launch at that. It's golden for him. All he wants is problems. All he wants is strife because what he can do then is he can bust through that cause problems and destroy the church as a whole because that is the front line of defense. Your shield, your bond is what is protecting us from the enemy. So you don't know if you're you know, nitpicking with somebody else, you might cause someone else to fall. You and someone else griping could cause a whole different person who's not even affiliated with your situation to fall because you allowed something into the church. We are to be unified and stand up against anything that the enemy would throw at us. 
We are to be called the peculiar people. We are called to turn our world upside down. We cannot come into this world, be like everybody else, and let it stay the same. Even though Paul was ridiculed, even though he was, event- he was persecuted, he went through so much, but yet he stood firm. So no matter what the world is throwing at us, we have to stand firm because we are not like the world. We have to come out of the world and be separate. Not everyone will like the message of Jesus, but it's our job to preach it until he comes back. I firmly believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Paul preached it thousands of years ago. He said, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. You know, there was a greeting in the um, early church. They would say, Maranatha. And it was kind of like, you know how you walk up to somebody and say like, oh, praise the Lord or something like that. You know, like a church greeting. Maranatha means he's coming back. So even the early church was saying, he's coming back. We got to be ready because he's coming back. And we don't know when he's coming back. But when he does, we're going to be ready because we know that one day he's coming back. And he's coming back to judge the earth. Are we going to be on the wrong side of judgment and allow our friends to be on the wrong side of judgment, allow our family to be on the wrong side of judgment? Or are we going to allow him to flip our vision right side up, run into the world and grab as many people as we possibly can to save them from the darkness and damnation that is eventually coming for this world? We are called to be separate. We are a lifesaver. We are an anchor for somebody. It is not okay for us to stay in the shallow and allow the world to just take hold. We have to go to the deep. We have to step out into unsteady waters and allow God to make us who he wants us to be. We have to say yes to the call of God. We have to say yes. We have to be chosen because someone else needs it. Someone else needs us to be a firm foundation for us. Someone else needs us to be their connection to God. It is not okay for us to just stay as we are, who we are. You don't have to be a great preacher to tell people about Jesus. You don't have to be the most eloquent speaker. You just have to know Jesus died for your sins and he is coming back and you are already qualified. All you need is the one good message. Jesus died for your sins so that you could be saved. The call of God is constantly outgoing. And it is going out for anyone who will respond. He wants you to be chosen. He wants you to turn your world upside down. And he wants you to say yes. Yes to his purpose. Yes to his plan. And yes to his will. No matter what it may look like. We have to be willing to say yes. God, whatever you have, whatever your purpose... God is listening right now. God is ready. His call is going out, speaking to every heart that will listen, every heart that will respond, saying, choose you this day who you will serve, who will be your master. God, everything that's already been has been, but today I want to be chosen. God, I say yes to your will, yes to your plan. You don't have to have the most eloquent prayer. You don't have to have the most perfect past. Just say yes. Jesus, yes. Everything to, yes to everything you have for me. Yes to your will. Yes to your plan. I'm going to open up these altars. If you want to come pray, these altars are open. But let's respond to the call of God today. God, whatever you have, whatever your plan, Jesus' name.
philosophers of his day. And they called him ignorant. What is this ignorant show-off, he said in verse 18. He was just an ignorant preacher. Sometimes I wish people would view me as like this well-educated and just, oh, he's so eloquent and stuff, but I know that I'm not. 
I would rather be viewed as an ignorant preacher and believe in the creator of the universe than to worship the unknown God. The philosophers of that day were proclaiming the unknown God while he was proclaiming the known God. Their world was so far upside down, they didn't know which way was straight. And sometimes they, we get so comfortable in our chaos that it becomes comfortable and normal and it becomes, we become so accustomed to it that when God comes in and begins to rearrange and begins to shape and mold, we're like, whoa, stop. I can't do this because it's not what I've always recognized and we try and go back to the chaos. Don't go back. What Paul was preaching that day, it turned their world upside down. Why did they, why did the riot that was started back in the beginning here in this, in this chapter, why did it, why did they come and say these men that have turned the world upside down, why is it included in this chapter? Because you get here to this portion and Paul by himself begins to preach to these people and turn their world upside down. Your gods are wrong. And so I want you to know this, your chaos, your problems, your situations, they are not of God. They're not right. You need to go ahead and lay them down before the foot of God. Repent and turn away and say, God, I'm going to follow you with everything that is within me. I will follow you, Jesus. Don't hold on to the things of the past. Let them go and chase after Jesus Christ. Oh God, I worship you. Can you just love him right now? As this song plays, I'm thankful for the cross. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I worship you.
Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I'm thankful for the foolishness of preaching. As it's what corrects me. It's what touches me. It's what ministers to me. Ashley, phenomenal job. I'm not going to dismiss. I'm just going to remind you about Bible study. We'll be exploring God's word. In the name of the Bible. We'll be exploring God's word. This is the revelation. You'd like to pray. You turned up. You expected it. You'd like to pray. How presence of God. Remember, it's not you. person here today, God, that you would move our lives, God, that you would touch God, keep us, God, stir us, in Jesus' name, next week, I'm going to do, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 18 and 19, possibly 20, they kind of all tie together, so I'm going to try and be throughout those, I don't know, we'll see how we